0: All right, well, we have been uh, going through the Gospel of John very slowly, one passage at a time. We're taking our time because there's a lot to stop and consider, a lot to look at, a lot to see. It's a slow hike. Uh, So today we're continuing along in that journey with John chapter 8. We spent like five weeks in John 7, so I feel like we we have new momentum. We're in a new chapter. Um but John chapter 8 starts with when Jesus spoke again to the people he said So we're in a new chapter but it's a continuation of the same story when Jesus spoke again So uh because especially since we had a guest preacher last week who preached a different passage uh let's just take a moment to remember what's happening in the story what's happening in the in the plot um if you remember, I think this was five weeks ago. Uh, and John seven starts with Jesus going down to the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember that? Feast of Tabernacles was the was uh, the biggest celebration among uh, the Judean Jews every year during this time. It was to commemorate uh, the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. And wandering 40 years in the desert because God was with them in the desert. He provided for them in the desert. He blessed them in the desert. In the desert, they lived in tents. So during the festival, people would go out and they would build tents, tabernacles, in their front yard, on the roofs of their houses, everywhere throughout town. And everybody lived outside for a whole week. Um, and it was a huge party. You can imagine what it would be like living in Jerusalem at this time. People came from all over. Everybody's camping in the street. Uh, I think if it were today, everybody, people would have the barbecues out. There'd be music. There'd be kids running around playing. It would just be a lot of fun. So Jesus is there, and he's been teaching in the temple the whole time. And that teaching has drawn a lot of attention. Uh and we saw, as we've read, and even in this passage, when he teaches, some people believe, some people are confused, and some people are very angry. And it tends to be, uh, it tends to be the the religious establishment there in Jerusalem that's the most angry with him. We've even read here in this passage and repeated throughout the previous passages, they were looking for a way to get rid of Jesus. They were looking for a way to kill him or arrest him because in their mind, uh, he was teaching things that were disrupting their whole system. And as religious people, that's good for us to remember. Uh, The religious folks weren't the ones who were siding with Jesus at this time. So, Jesus is teaching. What has been the main topic of his teaching? Well, if we think back, if you've been here the last few weeks, uh, the main topic of Jesus' teaching is who he is and his relationship with the Father and with the Spirit. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And Jesus is teaching Trinity to this crowd. He's teaching his relationship with the Father. He says he's come from the Father. The Father sent him. He shows people the Father. He speaks the Father's words. Jesus' the Son is the Father's self-expression to us. He's been teaching this. He's also been teaching his relationship with the Spirit. Jesus gives the Spirit. Remember there's the whole thing about anyone who's thirsty, come to me and rivers of living water will pour out of them. I will give that to them. And then John says he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. So that's what Jesus is doing. He's teaching about his identity as God's person, the one who shows us the Father and the one who gives us the Spirit. How do we know about God? Well, we look to Jesus. He shows us the Father. How can we be filled with God? Well, we get close to Jesus because he gives the Spirit of God to us. That's been the main focus. So today we pick up with this scene. Jesus is there in the temple. Uh, I think this is the last passage said the last day of the feast. So this is like the first day after the feast is over. So I'd imagine the city was bustling. People are taking down their tents. People are everywhere. Jesus is in the temple and he's continuing his teaching. Uh, I wonder if that crowd was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, But he's teaching. And it says, and, and what does he teach? Well, the main topic of this talk on this day is this first statement, verse 12. Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life jesus says i am the light of the world that is the big idea of this whole passage this whole talk i am the light of the world now if you grew up in church you've definitely heard that before even if you didn't grow up in church maybe you've heard that jesus is the light of the world is a very common thing that christians say why because it's a very important thing that jesus said i am the light of the world now we're reading this in english uh, John the gospel writer wrote this in Greek and so there's a distinction here I want to point out. When Jesus says I am the light of the world, he's not saying I am the light that the world shines out. That's that's not it. It's clearer in Greek. What Jesus is saying is I think if we were really direct he's he's saying I am the light for the world. Remember he's been talking about he's from the Father. He shows us the Father. He gives the spirit. He's saying, I am the light that shines from God in this world. Uh, the light of the world that comes from God. God's light. That's me. Jesus is God's light shining down on us and shining among us. That's his main point. Now, it says in verse 20, it says... Uh, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. It's a little strange that John would write that if, he didn't, if it didn't have any significance. Uh, John's giving this beautiful discourse from Jesus, and it's like right here in the middle of it. He goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, you need to know that he was standing over by where the offerings are in the temple. The reason for that is because where Jesus was standing affects the way that we need to hear this message, I am the light of the world. He's in the temple near the place the offerings were put. Well, this is the second temple. uh, This is second temple Judaism, second temple. This was Herod's temple. And if you can look up, uh, there's plenty of historical record. You can look up the layout, how it was all laid out. And the offering... uh, receptacles they were these big uh, they called them trumpets because they looked like upside down trumpets they were narrow at the top and as they got closer to the ground they, they went wider that's probably so people can put their coins in but they can't reach in and take coins out um, there were several of them lined up and they each had a purpose so you, you put your coins in this one for this thing and this one for this thing and somehow related to the way they did their budget you can give to different things uh, we see this kind of thing. Uh, there's a famous story about Jesus and the disciples watching people uh, pour money into these receptacles. And the widow comes along and gives like two pennies. And he says, that's the greatest gift. That's the place where they are, standing next to these offering receptacles. Now, those offering trumpets, uh, they were in a courtyard in the temple that was called the Court of Women. Um, The reason it was called the Court of Women is because the temple had concentric uh, courtyards, concentric places. And the further you went in, the more limited the access was. The biggest and outer court was called the Court of the Gentiles because anybody can go into it. The next court was the Court of Women, and that's because that's as far as women were allowed to go into the temple. And this was just Jewish women. And that's where Jesus is, where the offering is. And the next court is just men and priests. And the next court is just priests. And then the Holy of Holies, which is just like the high priest once a year. Um, so Jesus is in that middle court, the court of women. Why is this so important? Well, during the Feast of Tabernacles, it says when Jesus was talking, there was a special thing that happened in the court of women. On each corner of the court, they set up these giant menorahs. So everybody know what a menorah is, like Hanukkah, the candle things? On each court, they set up giant menorahs. And I heard one person uh, say that they were like 18 or 19 feet tall. So these were, I don't know how tall the ceiling is, uh, but probably taller than this. How tall? All right, so two of these. So very tall, and they weren't just candles at the top. They were these big, uh, giant, uh, like oil lamp bowls. So huge. In fact, every day they would take one of the priests or the temple workers. I heard one person say it was usually the youngest ones. <laughs> uh, would set, they would put up a ladder against it and climb up the ladder to the top and so, to fill these bowls with oil and then light them. So they were like... Like if you go down to Moda Center and see like the giant, like eternal flame or whatever they have there, or like the Olympics, like the giant, that's what they were. So menorahs, they have, I guess, eight eight things, eight giant bowls, four of them on each side. And they were, so this was bright. Now think about uh, like first century city. Uh, There's no street lamps. There's no headlights on cars, there's no light pollution. So the only lights in the city at night would be like candles, torches, things like that, Um, stars. So these menorah things around the temple, they were uh, very, very bright. And historical record tells us that uh, these menorahs would not just light the temple area at night, but because the temple was on um, a hill, uh, and you can go to Jerusalem today and see this hill. Because it was up on this hill, they said that the light from these uh, menorahs would actually illuminate the whole city. Now maybe there's some historical hyperbole there. I'm sure it wasn't bright enough to go out and like read a small print book, at least not for me but you could see these lamps through the whole city in fact there's one historical record that i heard i didn't read it myself i heard a guy talking about it on a thing i listened to this week Uh, one person had written that on a clear night you can see these menorahs all the way at the coast which is like close to 50 miles from jerusalem maybe i know that like have you ever been like on a road trip out in like uh, the desert, the Great Plains, you know, mid America, where you can see for miles and miles, and you, you go up on a hill and you can see a city sort of glowing, even though it's miles and miles away. Maybe it was like that. The point is, he's standing in between these four menorahs, and it's feast time when these things are blazing. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That's on purpose. So if we are going to understand what he means when he talks about himself being the light of the world, we need to interpret it through this symbolism. Okay, that was a long explanation for context, and I even forgot one thing that's important. So here it is. Why did they light these menorahs? Was it just for fun? Well, it was fun, I'm sure. But remember, the Feast of Tabernacles is a commemoration of God leading the people through the desert for 40 years, right? We read a passage earlier when God led the people out of Egypt. Chris read it, what Chris read earlier. And through the desert, he led them with what? A pillar of fire, a cloud by day and fire by night. Uh, If you've seen Prince of Egypt, they do, I think they do a great job It's clearly cloudy in the day But then the sun goes down And it's this blazing light And in, in the passage Chris read It said that God did that uh, So that they would have light As they moved So when you read Exodus And uh, uh, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy And you learn about the, the 40 years That people spent in the desert God led them with this pillar And when the pillar moved They followed it uh, And then when the pillar stopped They set up camp And when they set up camp the tabernacle which was like the mobile version of the temple was in the middle and after they would set it up each time the pillar of fire would come and rest on top of the tabernacle during the day they called it the glory cloud and then at night it was this visible pillar and it would illuminate the whole camp it also says that god would speak to moses from within the cloud from within the it says that moses spoke to god face to face So these menorahs at this feast symbolized the pillar of fire. So in the desert, pillar of fire is over the tabernacle in the camp. Well, during the feast, here are these giant menorahs over the temple, illuminating the city. You see the symbolism in John's gospel, Jesus had already claimed that he is the true temple earlier in the feast. When they poured out that water thing, Jesus had already claimed that he's, he's the one that pours out the water of the Holy Spirit. He's building on this imagery. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he might as well be saying, I am the pillar of fire. You get it? Okay. Why is that so special? Well, two words, knowledge. And communion, knowledge, and communion. Uh, this the pillar of fire. It led the people. It showed the people where to go. In that passage we read, it, it said that uh, God did not lead the people directly into Canaan. That would have been through the Philistine country. If you travel from Egypt to Israel, Palestine, what they call the land of Canaan. It only takes by foot a few weeks. The people wandered 40 years in the desert. It says that if they would have traveled directly, there would have been war. So God led them on this roundabout path that took uh, 40 years. Because the pillar was there, they knew where to go. They knew how to survive. They knew where to camp. Also, because of the pillar... Uh, God would speak to Moses, and he would give Moses the law so the people would know how to live. This pillar was knowledge. This is where they got their knowledge. It, it's no accident that there's this metaphor of light Light illuminates. Knowledge illuminates our mind. Uh, when we think of the pillar and what it represents in the Bible, and we think of Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world, we need to think knowledge. This is where God, how God leads us. This is how God speaks to us. This is how God teaches us what's true. We come into the light here, knowledge, but also communion. Communion is fellowship, it's sharing, it's friendship, it's mutual love. A pillar of fire rested over the tabernacle in the camp. It went right in the middle of the people. It illuminated the place where the people went to worship. Moses, the prophet, went and spoke to God face to face there. If you were an Israelite living in the camp, even though you're living in a tent and you're wandering in the desert, you can, every night when the sun went down, you can look over and see, there's the pillar. That's where God is. If I'm close to the pillar, I'm close to God. I'm home. That's the pillar. It's in the middle of the camp. I'm a part of something. I'm included. This is, this is where God is, and this is where his people is. Are. Knowledge and communion. So Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the pillar. Do you want to know about God? Look to me. Look at the world through my light. I speak for the Father. Knowledge. Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. He's inviting people to come to him, to listen to him. You can truly be my disciples, he says. Communion. Knowledge and communion. God doesn't just want us to know about who he is. God doesn't just want us to know the things he cares about so we can live well. God wants us to know him. He wants us to be included in his life, included among his people. Jesus is saying, I am that light. I'm the knowledge. I'm the communion. Now, it's ironic that the people in the story, again, who object to what he's saying, who argue with him are these Pharisees. Now in our culture to call someone a Pharisee is not a good thing, but we need to be careful here. The Pharisees were good people. These were the most pious, sincere religious people of the time. They were teachers. In fact, the Pharisees are the founders of what would become contemporary modern Judaism. These are good folks. These are folks like us, church people. They're the ones objecting to what Jesus is saying. That's striking. They even referenced the law, which came out of the pillar, to do it. You can't be your own witness. You need at least two witnesses. that's, That's part of the Hebrew law. Someone can't testify on their own behalf. There has to be at least two witnesses. That's John, the gospel writer, is setting up irony here. Here are the people whose lives are most disciplined. They have the best religious practice. They have the most knowledge of the religious tradition. They're the ones that are getting up the earliest and going to bed the latest because they're doing their prayers. These are the people at the top of the spiritual advancement ladder in their culture. These are the leaders. And they're the ones who are so close to Jesus so close to everything he gives and represents in their mind, but they oppose them in their heart. They have the knowledge, but they don't have the communion. And they're objecting to Jesus. That irony is there to remind us, religious folks, as we read this, that knowledge of God communion with God, the divine true communion with one another it doesn't come from our religious practice it's not a given because we try to be good it doesn't happen when you know the most about the Bible or about spirituality it comes from Jesus, not us as a church this is good for us to hear we're a small church we're, our church is kind of Went, went through a thing where we sort of restarted our church is pretty malleable right now we can spend a lot of time exploring our religious tradition uh, teaching each other ethics going out and doing good works we can be the best religious people and completely miss the point of everything God wants to show us God wants us to know him, to know about him, and to know who he is. And he's given us that knowledge and offered us that communion in Jesus. So, as a church, if every single thing we do isn't done with our eyes focused on Jesus, our ears attuned to Jesus, our minds focused on him, if Jesus isn't at the middle, they we're missing out on God's greatest gift. We're walking out of the camp where the pillar is and trying to get to Canaan on our own. And guess what? Canaan might not be far. But that's not the way to get there. That's a good warning for us. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he means that he is God's light. He is where we get the knowledge. He is where we (coughs) get the communion. So I guess in summary, He Himself is our life. Jesus is everything to us. In John's prologue it says, in Him was life, and that life was the light of humankind. That's the idea. Jesus is everything. He is our whole life. In verse 21, Jesus broadens his speaking. He starts to speak to the whole crowd. This was after he had had that interaction with just the Pharisees. He starts to speak once again to the whole crowd. He's, once more, he said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin." Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask that word uh, in the actual Greek is Judeans. Uh, That doesn't mean like the Jewish people, that means the people who lived there in Judah, the religious establishment there in Judah. The Judeans asked, Will he kill himself? He says, Where I go, you cannot come. See, they're still not getting it. And Jesus said, You are from below, I am from above. You are of the world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. What's Jesus saying here? Is he being arrogant? Is he being a weird street preacher condemning the people? No, that's out of character for him. What is he saying? He's saying, folks, I am from above. You're from below. If you don't pay attention to my light, you're going to die in your sins. He, he's pleading with them. Now let's go back to this uh, pillar of fire thing. Pillar of fire comes down from heaven. It illuminates the temple. It's right in the middle of the camp. What would happen if somebody who lived there in the camp decided to ignore it? Like we spoke about a second ago, decided is not that far. It's a couple weeks. I'm just going to go this way. Decided that they didn't believe. They weren't going to follow the pillar. They weren't going to go to the tabernacle. They were going to do things their own way. What would happen? Well, they would die. In fact, the whole first generation of Israelites who came out of Egypt died in the desert. Do you know why? Because their hearts were hard, and they chose not to believe. They'd experienced all of these things from God, but they still didn't open their hearts to God. So God let them wander until the whole first generation passed away. And then there was a second generation who opened their hearts to God. And they're the ones that went into the land. Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. I'm shining down from above. If you don't look up, just like those Israelites, you're going to die in your sins. You're going to be left in the dark. He says, I'm from above. You're from below. Those menorahs illuminated the whole city, and you could see them from afar. Why? Because they were raised up high. You can't illuminate a city from the ground. You set a big fire on the ground, it'll illuminate that area, but it's not going to illuminate the whole city. So Jesus is saying, My light is from above, it illuminates the whole thing. You're from below. Again, what he's saying is your religious practice, your self-directed spirituality, your best efforts, your good deeds, that's great. But it's not the light. It's not going to illuminate your world. It's not going to lead you into the land. Your own lights from down where you are, your best human efforts can never bring you the knowledge of God, the communion with God that comes from a light that shines from way up high. That's what Jesus is saying. I wonder if he even pointed at the menorahs. I'm from above, and maybe another fire somewhere. You're from below, and the people would have gone. Oh, I get it. He's telling us once again, folks knowledge of God, communion with God, it doesn't come from within sight of you. It comes from God. It comes from me. That's incredibly important for us. Isn't that sort of a dominant voice in our culture? To follow your inner light. Look down deep. Uh, look deep within yourself. That's where the truth is. And In many ways, that's very good and that's very true. But in the ultimate sense... When it comes to life's ultimate meaning, knowing God, it's not from within. It's from without. It's from above. And God has given us that light in Jesus. Um, Jesus is the light of the world. He's the pillar of fire. He's God's self-expression. He gives meaning to all of life. He's how we know God. He's how we commune with God. He's how we participate with God. In fact, he gives the Holy Spirit. He gives God to us. He is lifted up and shining bright. We can live by his light, we can look to him, or we can wander around trying to follow something else. And, and never, we can even be the most religious people and still miss it. That's what Jesus is saying. But the big kicker in this passage is near the end. Verse 27, it says they they did not understand what he was telling them about the Father. It's like Jesus is going through all this stuff, and it, and they still are just not getting it. So Jesus says this. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and I do nothing on my own, but I speak what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. You see the knowledge and communion there? Jesus is saying, Look, I've been talking about this light thing. We have the menorahs. I've been showing you the picture. It's the festival, pillar of fire. You're still not getting it. Okay. I got it. When the Son of Man, that was Jesus' word for himself, is lifted up, then you'll know. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the cross. He knows it's coming. They don't see it yet, so he's telling them in advance. He says, when I'm lifted up and I'm on the cross, that's going to be the clearest picture of everything I'm trying to tell you right now. If you don't get it now, wait for that moment. Then you'll get it. Well, we don't have to wait for that moment. We already know what happens. Jesus goes to the cross to give his life for the life of the world. Folks, Jesus, his person, is the light of the world. But his death on the cross, when he was lifted up, crucified for our sins, that was the moment when God turned the light on to its very brightest, So, as we talk about Jesus, as we talk about his light, he is everything to us. He's our life. Without him, we die in our sins. But the clearest we can ever actually say that, the clearest picture of that, is Jesus hanging on a cross. What's that about? Well, that's God entering in the darkness to take his light all the way there to the darkest corner of our hearts. That's God giving up his life so that we can participate in resurrection with Jesus. Folks, Jesus is the light of the world not because he teaches us how to be the best religious people. But because he is the very distance that God has gone to take a hold of us and free us from the bondage of Egypt, the bondage of our sin, and lead us into a good life with him. He is everything. We can go out and try to find Egypt on our own. Or we can just go to the light. And that's the good news of Jesus. Let's pray.